Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 459 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Matteo Chogone of Jump Ship and ask them about the design and development of the action-adventure game Somerville. I'm going to go a bit of housekeeping before I delve into this episode, if I may, and I am, and I will. I've got some feedback recently over recent weeks, maybe months, that listeners are not aware that the music's being played within the episodes are taken from the game that we're talking about in this episode. That's not clear. I apologise. It is in the show notes, to be fair, usually. So, yeah, that's why we have different tunes per episode, because we're taking music from the game and putting it into the show. I hope that's clear. Anyway, Somerville. It's an adventure game, a pure adventure game with a lot of puzzles and dexterity required. So it falls into lots of different little parcels rather than any particular one. I really liked it. I enjoyed it. It's terrifying. It uses light extremely effectively. As, and it's something we talk about in this show. It's almost like an adversary as well as something that helps you, or more to the point, the absence of light, or indeed darkness, is something that's treated as an adversary in Somerville. Anyway, you don't want to hear me babble on about it. You want to hear 
Mateo talk about education, don't you? Of course you do. So it's being summed up. Yay, grammar. I'm really going to stop now. Chris, please do get us out of this hole. Hello, Mateo. Hello, Chris. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? Yes, so my name is Matteo Cercone. I'm the um, audio director at Jumpship and one of the composers for the game Somerville. Also, it's your fault that uh, <laughs> that, that score is just going right through my brain over and over again. Well done, <laughs> sir. Thanks. So, it, um, it was definitely a collaborative effort because um, the piano pieces were done by Dominique Charpentier. So it was, I was just, you know going in a little bit and helping out with more of the, uh, with some of the music as well. Mm, no mean feat. So <laughs> this isn't Sound of Play. That's another podcast we do, but this is the Sausage Factory. <laughs> Sound of Play is the podcast we, we, we was on hiatus, but we did uh, focus on music from, from video games and scores. So um, how did you make your start getting involved with the creation of video games then? Um, I well, I started first of all by um, not knowing what sound design was at all. I, I just knew I loved games and I loved playing around with instruments, and I ended up spending more time doing strange noises than actually learning how to play instruments at some point. Um, and then I realized there was actually the people get paid to do weird noises and, and record things and all the sort of things. Um, so yeah, I, I enrolled into a, a film school like uh, that was around 10 years ago. At first when I went there, you know, I was, I was looking more for like doing sounds and mixing for, uh, for movies um, and but there was also during my time there, there was also a, a course about um, sound design for video games, and that really opened my mind a lot because you know, you know, you always know what's going to happen in a movie in like 10 minutes, uh, 20 seconds, and three frames, right? And 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 with games, you kind of break all of that, so you need to kind of think, you need to start thinking about how do you make systems to make things sound the way you want to. Um, so that, that really got me thinking quite a lot, and I felt quite in love with that. Um, and after my time at that school, then I got lucky to be involved in a game called Star Citizen, and that's really where my career um, took off. Like I worked at Cloud Imperium Games for a, for a good few years. Um, and while I was there, I was looking at the uh, blogs that uh, Chris Austin was posting about an hypothetical game called Somerville uh, back in the days. But back then, it was just like um, it was just a blog made from one guy, really. Um, and then, you know, I carried on my career. I went to Splash Damage for a few years, worked a few games over there. Um, and, and yeah, after that, uh, in the meantime, the Jumpship became quite a reality like Chris actually started to make his own um, his own game and started to have his own crew and they were looking for an audio programmer uh, sorry for an, uh, an audio director and uh, and yeah and I, I was lucky enough to then be involved in the project as the audio director uh, and here we are that's uh, that's been yeah it's 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 been nine years since I've been in the industry now next up what are your biggest influences? Um, I remember quite vividly, you know, I used to play AAA games, um, and it was always been, that was always, you know, like in my heart, I was always enjoyed playing AAA games. And then, um, I remember when, when Limbo came out, for example, that's the first time that made me go like, aha, uh-huh, 
you know, and along with journey as well, that made me go like, okay, I see that, you know, there are studios that are way much smaller than, than, than triple studios and they make things that don't look as fleshy as any other games, but at the same time, they have something new and, and the sound design in the limbo. And then, and after that, um, you know, inside, it was so strong that the fact that you didn't have, you know, like, like, like fully fledged faces, for example, you know, the, the fact that that was everything a bit blurry, just the sound design compensated so much with that. And I don't know, but it just opened a door to me because like I said, you don't really see exactly um, what's going on in those games. You don't know exactly the story, what it is. Um, everything is a bit blurry, uh, but the sound design, it kind of brings everything together in the package that somehow made it feel like, you know, it made it feel like as a, as a whole package, just because everything is blurred, but it, it has even more value now because you can give your own interpretation to certain things. Um, and I, I quite love that. And that's really when I did the switch and I was like, I want to work on indie games. I'm hoping to find, you know, some, some good ones um, out there. And, and that's, that's, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, you know, so to answer your questions, one of the biggest influence for me was uh, Martin Stink Anderson. I, think, I hope I said his name right. And he's the, um, um, he's the sound designer of, of both Limbo and Inside. Um, and he's, you know, he's the one that really looked up to um, when I started my career as a sound designer. And, you know, he has a lot of talks he's been giving about both the implementations and the sound design on those games that he worked on. And, um, you know, it's still to those days, I still go back and, and rewatch them every now and then. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a very massive influence to to for me to just you know to start my career, not just to start in the in the game industry, but to you know to put this thought in my brain that um, you know I should I should try and go indie uh, rather than trying to chase the big AAA companies. Um, we could go on, but we won't. We're going to go on to the next question. Oh, yeah. Cheers. What video game developer do you admire most, and why? What video game developer am I most? Uh, oh, God. Um, there are lots of them. I mean, mm. you know, the most obvious one that I can think of is obviously Kojima, in a way. Uh, <laughs> he is the one person that brought stealth into any game that we know nowadays. And, and, and you know, it's kind of a love and hate relationship because, um, you know, as soon as any developer makes something that... Um, the player loves it always feels like it becomes a template all of a sudden and you know and and i think we live in a in times where a lot of games are just collections of templates <laughs> in other cases um so yeah it, it's been a, you know obviously it's been a massive influence uh in the industry overall i remember playing that one metal gear solid one when i was just a little kid on the playstation mm-hmm. um and that was groundbreaking to me like, it was like you know i, I you had cars that all of a sudden they just turn around and they actually follow your footsteps. And we never saw that before. And after that game, like AI, AI became a big thing for all the games. Um, and even to this day, it's like people are hired just for working on AIs of NPCs. Um, and it's, and you know, so yeah, that's one of the people that I admire the most because I, I just feel like he just creates templates for everybody else at some point because a lot of his ideas are quite innovative and uh, and they still stick and stay after so many years. 
the point is that people talk about it at some point and they, they, they make their own stories and they make their assumptions and they, they talk about it and, and they confront each other with what they think the game is about, which is, yeah. Yeah. which is something that fascinates me as well. I mean, yeah, the odd characters he comes up with, they are just utterly bizarre. And his name is often uttered when I do mention that question. So you, you join a many a, a throng of folk who said, yeah, yeah, him. He's, he does some amazing stuff. So, last question of the first half. Here we are. What are you playing right now? Oh, um, I'm quite late to the party, uh, usually. I play a game um, it's called Tunic at the moment. Um, it didn't really come out there recently. Um, Vampire Survivors, I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's somehow I just fell down the well of arcade feel games. Um, and it, it's one of those games that just keep me thinking. And uh, I love the fact that it's all uh, pixelated. You, 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 know, you can make everything up yourself to try to understand what everything is about. But still, it's quite fun. Uh, <laughs> it's got a fun experience. Well, we could go on about that, but we will not. We're here to talk about something else, a game that Mateus is very closely involved with, that is Somerville. So let's let's do that, shall we? Let's go. we do delve deep into Somerville, let's find out what it is. So, in your own words, Matthias, and wish you the very best of luck, what is Somerville? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a sci-fi adventure game um, where basically you are left powerless in, um, uh, during the, um, this, this, this war that happens and you just wake up after... Um, um, the war with the earlier civilizations that you go around looking for your family and try to make up and survive um, during your journey and try to make up the story of what's going on. It has a lot of um, inspirations, I would say, uh, for games such like um, such, such as Another World. Um, 
and uh, and yeah, so if you like, you know, those kind of adventure games, um, you can all check it out. Yes, another world featured on uh, an issue of Kane and Rinse, everyone, of which I, I was on. I was one of the hosts of that very show because I do remember playing it on an Amiga 500 all those many thousands of years ago. <laughs> and uh, yes, what an extraordinary game. Can now be played on the Switch with an extended version, by the way. They use the PC version as an extended seams. It's a bit strange. But no, I can definitely see the uh, DNA strands reaching out all the years across right up to Somerville. And you're right. The opens up with a terrible alien invasion from nowhere. And uh, you say the main protagonist is powerless. Not strictly true, is it? Hey. <laughs> Yeah, well, at least at the beginning, <laughs> you, you, you try to figure out exactly what, what it is that you have in your hands. Um, yeah. At the end, the power that you have is not really that powerful. It's more like uh, figuring out what, how to solve puzzles with those. It's relative, isn't it? But yeah. Mm. And also, you do start with a dog who remains with you, which is amazing. Of course <laughs> you do. I was very upset when the dog disappeared for a bit. Anyway. <laughs> um, and I was happy you could pet him, of course, because that's required. So... First question isn't related to canines, though. I know, disappointing. The core, I believe, of Somerville is questions. It is built from questions. Question after question after question. You don't present a lot to the player. You make some assumptions on the player that are familiar. This initially starts with something very familiar. You... You know, the family falling asleep in front of the television. How that happens across millions of homes across the world. Everyone sees that. But then there's a sudden jarring, a massive jar, and it becomes this, 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 these things got fallen from the sky. Question after question after question after question. And for me, that's the core of some of them. And the question, and the, here's a question on that. They are. There is an extent that these questions are answered by the game, but how far do you feel? Did you feel that you went with answering them? Um, not very far, really. Um, that's that's probably a good question for um, Chris Olsen, is the creator um, of, of the old game, and, and you know, although we had story, documentations about the story. Um, there were still a lot of things that were tweaked and changed or made just a few months before release. Um, and, and, you know, I myself have a lot of, answers, a lot of questions, <laughs> exactly what, what happened in some areas. You know, I have some, um, you know, I have some information that has been written by uh, different dogs and I have some of my own uh, interpretation of things that have been going on. But we're also quite happy, as, as, as I mentioned earlier, that, you know, it's one of those games where, you, you know, I can tell you what's going on, uh, but someone has, he needs to figure it out. And also it's not necessarily, it won't really find or understand what the story is <laughs> at some point of the game because it changes quite drastically um, at some point, you know, um, without, without many spoilers. But, you know, you go from being powerless into, uh, into almost, you know, almost being the hero. Of the, of the situation without knowing exactly how, um, you know, how exactly that happened. Um, but just giving some claims here and there. And that's deliberate, isn't it? It drives the player on. And I get that. Yeah. It's yeah. Like... Um, I think it was one of the, 
the core thing that we wanted to do as a studio to have, um, you know, to, to build a bit of a um, fan base, people that would actually try to make things up. Um, like early on uh, in development, we actually wanted to have some, um, you know, some some core gameplay mechanics, some some uh, just some very final puzzles were basically were not solvable alone, um, but they need like uh, some collaborative efforts online, for example. That didn't happen because it's not an online game anymore. But uh, the, the core idea was to actually try to build a fan base uh, that would try to make up with the story, like to understand what the story is about. And that they could actually, if working together, um, they could actually figure it out uh, what the complex story is about by being able to communicate with those entities. Um, but you know, as as we go through developments and things change quite often, and you know, and 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 as it always happens, um, at some point we all run up run run out of time because um, that's one thing we should say. Like, I, I don't think any game is ever finished. The developers just just um, run out of time, really. So a lot of things get pulled back. Um, but the 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 whole idea behind that it was actually to have some kind of a fan base that try to collaboratively come together and try to make the story. Um, make up with the story, make the story up. That makes sense. Nice, nice. I still think there's probably aspects of that. There's probably a massive Reddit thread somewhere going through and finding out that the little child was controlling it all. <laughs> um, I'm being silly, but anyway, I want to talk about the absence of light now. So darkness, really. But mm-hmm. I want to talk about an absence of light because it comes off as a type of adversary in Somerville not just the monsters, but also darkness itself. That's, you know, when you, when you, there isn't any light of any light source of any kind, because most of the time you're either underground or when you're above ground, it's night time or there's a perpetual darkness because of what's going on. I don't know, not going there, but can you talk us through how that came about? Was that always the intention that the mere act of the absence of light would, would create its own menace? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I'd be, I'd be the right person to answer that question because that's probably more of like um, an art direction. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I, I can tell you what I think um, the reason is. But um, like I would say usually um, it's because your main power is it's, it's using, um, it's pretty much using um, light sources to, to, to melt this, this, you know, to, to liquefy this um, alien substance that we call the sediment. Um, you know, obviously, it's, it's, we need to use the darkness as a contrast, right? So actually, when you use a light source, that's, that's really, you know, that you go from almost feeling powerless into feeling like, okay, I'm actually now um, not afraid of it, but I'm uncontrolling this substance in a way. So I think it was mostly just for, like, creating contrast with it. Because if you always have, you know, a very light up scene, and then you're also using light source with it, then you automatically kind of lose uh, positions or, you know, of, 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 of what the player is in a way. You, know, you lose contrast between the darkness and, and light. So I think, yeah, um, but that's my guess. Um, I, yeah, um, the Gyogi Sabra Art Directory would definitely have a much better answer to that. Um, he would probably tell you it's, it's more about the color palette. <laughs> no, I, I, think make... it's a, yeah, I think it's a great answer. But... Um... You know, going back and leaning into your own personal field, you do a great job of, you know, adding that texture with the sound. 
saying, you know, maybe adding some more echo or the sense of like, maybe you shouldn't be here yet, or maybe you need to do something before entering this space. And, you know, and that's the sound of the melting sediment. It's, a, it's wonderful. It, just, it's, it, just, it does sound off. You know, it sounds like it's, it's creeping away and as if it doesn't want to do what you're doing to it. And when it Thanks. snaps off and smashes and, because it does, and it can fall on you if you're not careful. Now, you did a job, good job of actually mirroring that sense of dread. Thank you. Thanks. Now, we've danced around this, and we're gonna, we have to focus on this now, because while Somerville is ultimately a pure adventure game, it's hard, it has a beginning, middle, and end. It really does. There is stringing that, the, the th- a thread right through that that experience are a series of puzzles, physics-based puzzles, all relate to the sediment and how the main protagonist interacts with it. And there is a thing that happens that you change those your abilities. I won't go into too much detail, but there are we've talked about melting. It happens quite early on. There's other things. So it does rely on the player understanding what the main protagonist can do and once they have an inkling of that there's a reliance what I can get from your design is that you assume that they understand lateral thinking and everything has a cause and effect and I just want to delve into and again you might probably talk about it third hand a little bit as well because you were reacting to what you've been presented to you as a sound designer, but how do you how did you get around designing those puzzles? Um, you're talking about designing the sounds or designing the, the puzzles itself. Well, both really. It doesn't answer. It doesn't help you. But really, the puzzle uh, evolution and each scene, you have a puzzle involved with it. Uh, in, in fact, it reminds you of a. a, a, a in some ways, uh, Planet of Lana, which is a game that's featured on this show too. In some ways, you have a scene, you've got to get from one side to the other. There's lots of obstacles in the way from you doing this. Solve that. That process. And also, what you do is in the sound design in terms of assisting the player and helping them going, yeah, you really should be doing that, but you shouldn't be doing that. Um, yeah, so in, um, in, in terms of puzzles, like usually... The work that presented is almost as a breadcrumb trails, right? You 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 are never like faced with the biggest puzzle right at the beginning, but there's always like some kind of leaning into um, into more complex puzzles. So it's almost like a, if you think about it, like each puzzle is like a tutorial to what's coming next. Um, and I think that we see that in a lot of games as well, where you know even even in older games, for example, even explaining. Um, the decor uh, movements mechanics is done in a way where you can't hurt yourself. And then as, you know, as, as, as you are given more challenges to faces, then um, all of a sudden there is like another element that comes on top. And then you, now you need to learn that one. And then after that, that's where actually the, uh, you know, enough, and after you learn a couple of those, that's when the, the game actually starts. And now you, you, you know, you, you can hurt your main character. And it's kind of the same way with, with, with puzzles in Somerville as well. Like, there's a, like if you think about it, the melting, um, 
like at the very beginning as we wake up with this power, um, we are not really presented with um, a big open space, but we are still inside the house. And when we use our power, there's only one place where we can use it um, to get out of the house. Um, so it's all very much confined in there. And after we've done that a couple of times, that's actually when the camera pulls up when you get out of the house. And now you're left with more freedom because that's the moment where we, where we said, okay, so now the player has a bit of an understanding of, you know, what, what, what those things are. Um, and, you know, the fact that it can manipulate this, this setting substance. And now you're left more, um, you're more in, a, in an open space where actually now you have to figure things out more yourself using the knowledge that you just acquired that way. So it's always, like I said, it's like a, a breadcrumb trail. It's like you just follow it until um, puzzles and things becomes a bit bigger. But we never introduce a puzzles without having given, you know, like some kind of answer on how to solve it earlier. Um, and in terms of its sound design, it's mostly, yeah, there, there is there's usually like we, we had like loads of talks uh, with Chris about how things are supposed to sound. Um, and in, in terms of audio, it's like, it's, it's similar than, um, it, it's similar as, as say, I usually say it's, it's quite similar as, for a concept artist because you know your concept art for example you would go around finding the right palettes of colors uh to kind of convey uh, certain kinds of emotions uh and it's the same thing with sounds we had to create like different palettes of sounds that are specific for uh let's say for the for, for the aliens in that case um so like yeah, for example if you listen closely all the um we call them the stalkers which some people like call the the alien dogs uh they find around like if you listen closely a lot of the sounds that they make are pretty much uh the same sounds that we use for this alien substance that gets melted and that's because the whole story behind it is that those aliens they are made of the substance outside with that so that they actually the, the entity itself it's it's um it's pretty much like a light source that lives inside this kind of sediment in a way so whenever they are shifting and morphing they actually they they are remodeling they are melting and and um and solidifying the same substance that you also um, you know, they, they, they are also manipulating in different areas. So there's like, you know, in order to make everything go easy that way, we had to kind of create a palette of all the sounds and make sure that we use them specifically for those um, types of situations or for those, uh, for those alien entities. Yeah, fantastic job. And the sound of those, those creatures is terrifying. So well done. Thank you. Last question. I oh, know, here we are. There it is. <laughs> I want to talk about the visuals a little bit, which you've had to, you've, you've hinted at. We've, done, we've, we've focused on the interaction with the game to a point. But in Somerville, they're kind of malformed. The arms are too long, the legs are too long, the head's a little bit too small. And they come on, and it's not, a, it's not a criticism, it's an observation. Just notice that things are a little bit off terms of perspective and that kind of thing the main protagonist is very tall and thin very tall and thin individual and i suspect in real life uh, when they certain things they do would have crossed their their, their ribcage some time ago and <laughs> would, have, would have suffered far worse than what they did eventually come across but you know 
It's uh, artist license and all that. But I want to talk about why that kind of style was taken on. How was it evolved into that, what it came to be? Because I think it's something to do with giving the sense of a, a player a chance to see what's going on and allow the player to see you know, the the arms and legs flying. Because sometimes there are parts where the only part of the protagonist you can see is part of them because of the lighting, which is deliberate. I get that. W- was it more of a functional thing or was it more of an artistic or both? Um, I think it was mostly artistic uh, choice. Like Since I can remember, like as I mentioned, like when I was um, working at Cloud Imperium Games, um, Chris had his blog. Um, the character pretty much looked very similar to how they were when they got released, when the game got released. Um, I, I remember, um, I don't know if you ever watched this um, uh, this wonderful animation called uh, The Red Turtle, uh, for example. And that's, that's I, I remember when I was having conversation with Chris back, back in the days, he mentioned that animation quite often and he was very much inspired by... Um, um, by that, because the characters do not speak in there. They're also the characters are very stylized as well, and uh, he always went for this kind of style. Because if you think about it, um, a lot of the animations feels in some review they feel quite cartoonish as well. At least to my uh, to my point of view. Um, so yeah, there, there wasn't anything. I think there was just um, an artistic choice that was pretty much grounded right at the beginning. Um, even before um, a team was formed to deliver this game. Um, so it, it all came from Chris. Okay. No, why not? Make your, make your mark. This is what you do. And that's that. It's, that's, this, is, this is my style. This is how we're going to go. Nothing wrong with it. You mentioned Tunic earlier. There's a game that features a cute little fox, which is very difficult to play, which you probably figured out by now. But nonetheless, the style is there. It's almost jarring to the on-screen action. Yeah. Well, indeed, you know, um, we were talking about um, in the virtual green room, Death's Door. There's a game that features a little cute crow. <laughs> it's just, you know, wow, that's got an art style to it as well. So, yes, yeah. it's... And, and it's, you know, and I think it's also one of the... As I was talking before about indie games, uh, trying to do something, and you know, I won't say different, but because there isn't like a big team that can spend a lot of time on, you know, animating all the different uh, faces or like, you know, creating all the little details and to make it look, you know, as uh, as uh, as realistic as possible. Um, I think a lot of indie games, they rely on the fact that they try to be very stylized. Um, and and that's also something that that I quite like. So yeah, they it it, it seems like it's a it's a recurring theme about trying to make in the game as stylized as possible so that they stick out, they feel different, they look different um, in a way, and 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 you know they they push the industry in a different direction, which is something I quite like. And and yeah, I think Somerville. Um, went to that route as well. We were associated a lot with Play Dead because, um, you know, we have Dino Patti, um, which he actually come from the Play Dead, from, from the Play Dead team. Um, and other people talked about Somerville as, as being, you know, another Play Dead game. But um, apart from Dino, really, um, there, there was no one that worked at Play Dead that worked on Inside or, or, um, or Limbo. So th- there was... I think there was also, you know, um, 
a bit of push of trying to look different, even though, you know, you can tell the, the Somerville is very much inspired by inside in a way. Oh, certainly. Certainly. But I think they're very different games. Uh, very, very different. There's a menace to Somerville. There's more a menacing experience. And that's, again, not criticism. It's an observation. It's the kind of feeling of constant sense of peril, absolute peril. Now, granted, Limbo and Inside have those too, but it's a different kind of peril. You're on your own, kind of. Here, in Somerville, you're not on your own. You've got a dog! (laughs) So, Somerville has been developed by Jump Ship. I have to ask, I can guess what the name comes from, but could you... Do you know where the name of the studio comes from? Oh, I have no idea. I have no? no idea. No, no, no. <laughs> I never, I never asked that question. Um. <laughs> we better ask what we do after we're done here. But uh, I'm assuming you're jumping ship from a larger <laughs> yeah. studio from another, and, from another studio. Yeah, yeah jump, jumping ships. That's very, and uh, it's published by, uh, I believe it's published by Thunderful, isn't it? Or am I wrong? yes. Yes, yeah, yes, recently we, we got we got acquired by Thunderful, yeah. That's right. So it is published by Thunderful and is available on what platforms? Uh, right now it's available on Xbox and PC and starting on the 31st of August. So that is just more than one week. It will actually be available for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. Excellent, excellent. Um, I personally played it on both PC and Xbox. Thanks, Game Pass. Cheers. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, fantastic, fantastic game. And uh, I have to say, it's been wonderful having you on the show, Matteo. Um, you've been a fantastic guest, open and honest, about the design and creation of Somerville. You're warm and welcome to come back to talk about what next you're, you're cooking in your brain, your collective brains. Um, I know it's probably three or four years away. That's fine. But uh, we'll be here. We'll be here. But in the meantime, thank you very much. Well, thank you, Chris. It's been really nice talking to you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website. Canaanrinse.com. <laughs>